Well, lovely. It's, it's a privilege to speak with you, share with you. Um, I don't say that lightly. I mean it. And um, we value all very much in the name of Jesus and in the fellowship of Jesus. And I value Simon greatly in the same fellowship. And he's been a real encouragement to me over these few months that we've been here. Um, he mentioned to me about him taking a sabbatical a few months ago. I said, perhaps you could speak on a New Testament, short, short New Testament letter. Uh, can everyone hear okay? Yeah. I know I can sometimes, my voice isn't the clearest. Um, but I said, well, do you mind if I do something from the Old Testament? And I thought a bit about it and came up with Malachi. So here we are, it's just a change of dialogue, isn't it? He's doing a lovely series for us, isn't he, through Luke. And uh, I'm always amazed at the detail that he's able to come up with on short passages of scripture. But it's lovely to hear the Old Testament occasionally. I don't know how often you delve into it, but I do with frequency and find the prophets, the word, the word of the prophets stirring in these days. And you know, the, the nation, I could only pray what I did this morning, how we need God's mercy, don't we, in this nation. And perhaps the... Um, England result last night was an element of that mercy. Uh, it reminded me about the little lad who was um, had a, a short history lesson by his primary school teacher with the, with the class, of course. And she said, after having given the lesson, I, I want you to go back and find out what happened in 1066. So they all had to go out and go home and find out. And the little lad asked his dad, said, Dad, what happened in 1066? And Dad wasn't really sure. But he thought about it. And then he, I know. He said, England won the World Cup. <laughs> and you can imagine when the lad got back into the class, he was the first one with his hand up. And we didn't hear the rest of the story, just what the class, or how they reacted. But I was reminded last night because I got a bit tired of watching people hitting balls about. Or, and I love tennis. I do love tennis. And I got a bit tired of people kicking balls around. So about half time, I thought, I'm going out. By then, it was a lovely evening. Did you notice? The skies were bright. You know, a lovely sunset. And I went up to the, you know, the church down below We've got a few from the church down below this morning. I've got my landlady in this morning. <laughs> I, fi- I find it a bit unnerving, you know. That you should, you know that your landlady should come. I don't know what she's going to make of this. But I'm sitting, I'm sitting there on those benches that are by the door that faces the east. And it was quiet. And there were just a couple of birds singing away. It was beautiful. And then this roar went up, this roar of people in sheer delightful enjoyment. Because it was coming up the hillside from the eight bells. And I thought, I'm going down there to find out. I didn't really have to guess what was going on. Because England already won nothing up. So I thought, you scored again. I'm quick, you know, in thinking these things. You scored again. So I went down, and it was just the beginning of the second half. And Maguire scored the second goal. And of course, there's a load of people outside under this big marquee thing watching the screen. 
And we watched this, and I spoke to a couple of guys to find out it was Maguire. I didn't see the goal, but I said, who scored? So he told me. And then I walked, I thought, well, I'm not going to watch it. Probably won't be any more goals. I just walked up to the um, street, and there's more shouting goes up, more shouting, more cheering. And Harry Kane scored another one. And uh, I just imagined that when that little lad got up and said, England won the World Cup, there'd be that sort of shout and cheer coming from this young class who were listening to what this boy said. In 1066, <laughs> England won the World Cup. Well, that's got nothing to do with Malachi, of course. It just helps me to get going. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. The word oracle is not used at all in, in, in the scriptures. Apart from here, apart from a couple of times in the prophecy of Zechariah, and apart from Peter actually saying that when we speak, when anybody speaks in the name of the Lord, they actually have the oracle of God to share. And we were talking about speaking with fear and trembling a little bit in the kitchen. I'm speaking to you with a measure of fear and trembling. I am. And we need a bit of that, don't we? The oracle of God. And Malachi is sharing that with the people who become disillusioned, with the people who become disobedient, with the people who are losing their connection with God. And God says to them, I've loved you. I've loved you. And what's that question? How have you loved us? Have you ever felt that? I remember once, for the first two years of my Christian life, I didn't know, I didn't realise, how. it took me two years to get born again. I didn't realise how God had loved me. I didn't realise it. I thought God should do something for me. I didn't feel he was doing anything. And I went to a meeting. It was in the middle of winter. I was in a place called Hanley. I come from a place called Stoke-on-Trent. Have you ever heard of Stoke-on-Trent? <laughs> it was in a place called Hanley. And the church there was one of these go-ahead churches. I've got Jackie Pollinger there. So I, I went along to this meeting. I thought, I'm going to get her to pray for her. And the heating in the church failed. So, so we're sitting there in the middle of winter. And we all got our coats on, you know. And Jackie, somebody gave Jackie a coat. I don't think she had one. But she finished what she was ministering. And then she opened the evening up for prayer. Well, most people left. They were freezing cold. But I thought, I'm going to stay here. And about three or four people stayed on. When it came to me to be prayed for, she looked at me, and after a while, because she spoke in tongues a little bit, she always spoke in tongues, she still does this, Jackie, doesn't she? And she said, the Lord has a special love for you. And I looked at her and said, I felt a bit disillusioned. Because you could say that to anybody, I could say that to anybody sitting here, and it's meaningful. And I said, you could say that to anybody. I said, I said that to Jackie Pollinger. I said, you could say that to anybody. 
I felt a bit short-changed by it. I wanted some sort of real word that divided my soul and spirit, you know. And I didn't think that met the, met the need. I know God loves me in a way. How have you loved me, Lord? That's what the nation was saying. And she looked at me and she said, because I said, you could say that to anybody. And she looked at me and said, God's saying it to you. <laughs> There's nothing I could say. <laughs> but this is the same attitude that Israel has here. How have you loved us? You know, this is how spiritually thick Israel had become. Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says, yet I have not loved Jacob. But Esau, I've hated it. Interestingly enough, a fortnight ago, Simon dealt with this when he was preaching from Luke's Gospel. When the Lord says hated, he uses the term in exaggeration to drive home the point. He's not actually hating Esau in that sense, but he loves him less than he loves Jacob. But it wasn't the Lord's will that Esau sold his birthright for a mess of pottage. That was Esau's choice. And the nation that came away from Esau, the nation that was descended from Esau, was a godless nation because Esau himself was godless. You can read that in Genesis 36, if you wish. The descendancy of, 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 of the line from Esau, which became the nation of Eden. And Eden was always a nation that opposed the people of God. And Eden became, eventually, it was overrun by tribesmen in something like the first century BC and became a land called Idumea. And Idumea eventually was totally destroyed when the Romans destroyed Israel in AD 70. The nation was wiped off the earth. That's what happened to Esau, his descendants, and the nation which came from his, his loins, as it were. Because God says so. Edom says, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. That's man's tendency, isn't it? We'll pull our socks up, we'll, you know, we'll... We'll prove ourselves, we'll, we'll establish our own dominion, our own strength, and we'll make a reputation for ourselves. And the Lord says, that's futile. It won't happen. Yet I've loved Jacob. And how the Lord loved Jacob time and time again, making a fresh pathways for her when time and time again she had denied him. But still the nation is here. Still there is a remnant of the nation who has a heart to seek God. I remember the three things. Well, first, what, what really came to me in reading through Malachi as a book was a word, I think, that the Holy Spirit wants to speak into my life personally, and I hope it has some relevance for you. And that is simply this. 
in the thrust of these days in which I am living, and in my own personal circumstances now, I have a choice. We all have choices. And the choice is whether to press in or opt out. You know, I've just retired. I can take it easy. And in the sense, I have relaxed because I needed to. But I have that choice whether to press in or to opt out. And this is what this word spoke to me. And the Lord's love that the prophet is touching on here as he introduces his oracle, the Lord's love will always discipline us. Always disciplines those he loves, remember. The proverb said that. The writer to Hebrews picked it up. And he said, no discipline is pleasant at the time. It's painful. But those who have been trained by it will reap a harvest of righteousness. Am I willing to be trained by God in the discipline of his love? And that's what he's asking me. Or will I sort of put my feet up? I'm retired now. I feel a bit sort of disillusioned. I've pastored a church for, you know, getting on for 30 years, first as a trainee and then as the main pastor. I feel, I feel you know, if you look at it in one sense, the Lord didn't do all that much. I didn't see him do all that much. In times I got frustrated. Times I felt like, you know, how have you loved me, Lord? What's happening here, Lord? Instead of drawing on his love and just letting it happen. Because that love is intimate, it's deep, it's profound, it's always accessible. And yet in my flesh we can I can fail to draw on that love. And it will discipline me. It will at times be painful. But I will reap a harvest of righteousness. If I discipline myself under the hand of God to stay within it. But it takes discipline. The Lord discipline. I think the old version used the word chastens. The Lord chastens those he loves. Are we willing to be chastened in the power of God's love? so that he can achieve through us what he wants to achieve. And that's what this first few verses speaks to me. Verse 6. A son honours his father, and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where's the honour due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect to me, says the Lord? You're not giving me honour. You're not giving me respect. And God has to say these things to his people, his chosen people, his nation. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. How have we shown contempt? See, they don't know this spiritually dull. How have we done this? They think they're doing okay, basically. Do we think we're doing okay? 
Is anybody here fairly satisfied with the way that we're responding to God? How have we shown contempt for your name? And then they're offering, it turns out, blemished sacrifices. If you've read the law recently, you realise that only wholesome creatures, only the best of the flock, as it were, are acceptable to God under the Old Testament law. And of course, Israel is offending that here. They're just giving to God what they don't want themselves. They're giving to God those creatures that are no use to anybody that they couldn't even sell on the market. Difficult to read, isn't it? Uh, Obviously, Ali has been influenced by this and the way she's ministered this morning, but I'm bringing my best to God this morning. It's easy when you're preaching because, you you know, you make an effort, don't you, to preach something. But what about if I just come and sit down in a chair? I've got nothing to do. What's my attitude? Is it critical? Or is it worshipful? Do I give to God my best all of the time? Am I willing to be disciplined by his love? I thought about the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about the institution of the Holy Communion. It's famous, very much so, 1 Corinthians for Paul's instruction on worship. And when he refers to the Lord's Supper, if you are looking it up in the Word, it's 1 Corinthians 11 verse 17... I've got an NIV here. It says in the following directives, I've no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. What a translation that is. Now, I think in the old version it says something like, your meetings cause more difficulty than bring blessing. Oh, words to that effect. Your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. But if you know this chapter, you would know that there's a communal meal going on, and they're all pushing to get there first. They were drinking um, in ways that were unacceptable to God. They weren't discerning the body of Christ, as Paul puts it as he reads through the chapter. For anyone, verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 11, anyone who eats and drinks without recognising the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Wow, there are people dying in this body of believers at Corinth because they weren't discerning the body and blood of the Lord when they were receiving communion. I don't want to die before my time, do you? I, I received communion insincerely. I was circumcised in the Church of England and it didn't really touch my heart as a teenager, at 17. 
and continued to take communion because I was in the church choir and all the men went out and they took communion, you know. I took communion, but it meant really nothing or very little to me. And the Lord put up with that for 20 years, really, until he finally got me. (laughs) He'll get us at the end. But it takes a long time, doesn't it? My mother became a believer when I was two. Actually did have a conversion experience. And she prayed for me for 33 years. So it can take a while. It could take a patient mother. But my whole point about it is this. That Israel's sacrifices back there at this time, and we think Malachi was writing about 430 BC. Um just shortly after the time of Nehemiah. But Israel's celebration occasions were unacceptable to God. And equally in the new covenant church, in the time of uh, Paul ministering to the church at Corinth, their times of worship were equally unacceptable to God. We may talk about blemished offerings. We may talk about not deserting the Lord's body in communion. But it challenges my heart. Will I press in or will I opt out? You see, when I say opt out, I'm not talking about denying my salvation. I'm not talking about going to hell and choose. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way I live, being wood, hay and stubble as far as the Spirit of God is concerned. I'm talking about achieving next to nothing as far as the Spirit of God is concerned. I'm talking about being willing to let the Spirit do a work in me that is one of quality and which will count for something in eternity. That's what I'm talking about. And there's a choice. Am I going to offer blemished sacrifices in terms of worship? Or will I offer him my best? That was the issue between Cain and Abel, wasn't it? I mean, Cain, oh, have this, Lord, but the, but the old, you know, have this, I'll give you this. He worked on the land, didn't he? He could, fetch, he could grow anything, it didn't cost him too much. Abel offered the best from the flock. And it's always been the issue. Jacob at least sought God, and God eventually got him, didn't he? Peniel. When he changed his name to Israel, he got him. It took him a long time. It took 20 years with Laban, but he got him. And he got me at the age of 35. It took him a while. But mum's prayers were part of the process. Praise God. Let us not offer him blemished offerings. So three things. Am I willing to submit to the Lord's discipline and the power of his love, whatever the pain? You know, Ephesus wouldn't do, Ephesus in the New Testament wouldn't do that. Your love's growing cold on me. Where's our relationship? Yeah, you've got the word, your doctrine's okay. But where's our relationship? Laodicea was even worse. And the Lord said to Laodicea, 
Those I love, I rebuke and discipline. And he loved Laodicea. Even though Laodicea was, was, was uh, picture Laodicea as a big church, successful church, all the bits and pieces they had. And they said, we're rich, we don't need anything. And the Lord says, you're poverty stricken as far as I'm concerned. The discipline of God's love. The beauty of worship. You know, blemished offerings. That's worship gone wrong. Worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. And I thought of that phrase. I'm almost there, friends. I thought of that phrase. Worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. Bow down before him, his glory proclaim. With gold of obedience and incense of lowliness. Kneel and adore him. The Lord is his name. And I looked at that psalm that uses the phrase, actually two psalms that use the phrase, the beauty of holiness. I turn up Psalm 96. It's, it's a beautiful, it's one of those psalms, psalms of spiritual energy that gets inside you. <laughs> it does. And it says, Sing to the Lord, and you Psalm 96 if you want it. Sing to the Lord, all the earth, and there's all this singing and masks on it. After the 19th of this month, you know, you can take your masks off, folks. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds. You know, do it, proclaim it. It doesn't mean sort of get a soapbox and preach down in front of the eight bells. It doesn't mean that. It means just live in a way that's a proclamation of the glory of God. Live as a saint. We're all saints. We've all done miracles if we, if we really knew it. We're not doing, we don't just have to count two and then become a saint about 300 years later. We're saints. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods. See, the legislation as we've talked about today that's going through the commons tomorrow, it's because there's no fear of God, there's no understanding of his word. We need to pray, don't we, for those politicians who do know God. I don't know if you saw it. There's a lovely video went across on you know, social media just at Easter time when a group of politicians were singing the Easter theme. I forget which song they were using. But it was lovely. And remembering those politicians in prayer with the faith they're carrying and the burden of such anti-Christian legislation. He's to be feared above all gods. All the gods of the nations are idols. If we don't worship God, we've got another idol we're worshipping. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. If we worship him, we get strength and glory back to us. Give him strength and glory and he gives us a bit back. He does. 
Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to you, his name. Bring an offering, come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the beauty. It's a splendor here, I love beauty. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. See, worship takes me into holiness. Those three things I'm bringing to you this morning from this first chapter in Malachi, let me just emphasize them again. The discipline of God's love, the beauty of worship, and the necessity of vision. That's what came to me in reading this chapter. I'll go on to vision now, it won't take me long. The discipline of God's love may cost me pain, but my word, it's worth it. I need a bit of pain, you know, to adjust me to the purposes and plans of God. If I never had pain, I'd just live like a pagan. God shouts to us, C.S. Lewis said, didn't he, in our pain. The discipline of God's love, the beauty of worship, and the necessity of vision. Right, the beauty of worship. Here we are. Israel was shockingly failing to worship the God of her salvation. But not the psalmist here. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Friends, I love, I, I want more of that. I want more of an intimacy with God. I, I know there's so much more than I've experienced. So much more. I'm jealous for that for you too. There's so much more, friends. But we need an appetite for that. Now what pours out of him, once he has touched the presence of God in worship, once his connection with God is right, once he's in the beauty of divine holiness, this pours out of him. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Any ambition that he might have had has gone. The world's firmly established. It cannot be moved. Man won't destroy this earth. God will recreate it. He will judge the peoples with equity, but not before he's judged the peoples. Let the heavens rejoice, the earth be glad, the sea resound, all that's in it. Let the fields be jubilant, everything in them. You can't be lifted by this expression of gratitude and thanksgiving to the fulfillment of God's purposes, which the psalmist touches in his spirit as he's writing this stuff. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He's coming in judgment. But it will be a judgment of righteousness. Whereas those who've trusted him will be redeemed and those who have mocked him will be condemned. Let's pray for our politicians. Those who don't know who God is. And carry on in the light of popular persuasion. 
Somebody once said, the politician makes decisions based on the next election, but the statesman makes decisions based on the next generation. Where are the statesmen? He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. And that's my final point. See, Israel is so far away from the heartland of God here, as Malachi is writing, that the Lord has to tell them what his vision for his own purposes is. And it's here in verse 11. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Because my name will be great among the nations. I like that song, we used to use it a bit at the church, um, The Lion and the Lamb. And that repeated phrase, who can stop the Lord Almighty? And we meet here today, we feel pretty feeble. If you're like me, we feel we're not really making much impact on the village as things are at present. And it's so easy to get despondent, as Israel was despondent in these days. Unless our hearts are in tune with the heart of God. And we believe in the outworking of his purposes to the end of our lives, into the next generation, and until Jesus should come. This is the vision again, friends. It's all there in chapter, in verse 11. My name will be great among the nations. This is where we're headed. From the rising... Isaac Watts. It's lovely to have a hymn you can think of, isn't it? Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. A tremendous hymn writer. Isaac Watts. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. That's where we're headed. And if I'm filled with that sort of anticipation, I just go around and tell people about it. And then it's either the smell of incense. How did Paul put it? It may may be the smell of death or the aroma of life. That's it. It's the smell of death to some. I mean, we can't avoid that. It is. The the aroma of life to many others. And that's why, bless you, you two for doing yesterday. But that's why you do it, isn't it? You want to be the smell of life, the aroma of life to people who are hanging about. That's why we do anything. That's why we've got... I'm quite surprised that I'm still alive. Well, Jenny said... You won't mind me telling you. We had her 75th birthday last Saturday. We had a crazy time. It was a real interesting group of people. We never had more than 26. 
So that was okay. Well, I'm a year older than she is. I'm quite surprised to be alive. I'm glad I am, though. I'm loving living next door to Marigold. <laughs> so this is it, friends. This is the question the Holy Spirit is asking me right now. Will I press in or will I opt out? I will preach a sermon, more or less. But it's not to do with preaching a sermon. To do with getting the Spirit of God in my heart and letting him give it life within me so that he actually does communicate from me. I need a bit more of that. Not just... Forget it. Will I press in or will I opt out? It'll do with me submitting to the discipline of God's love. It'll do with me getting more intimate in the place of worship. And it'll do with me absorbing at a deeper level what the vision of God is for this dying world. Because he's going to recreate it in the power of his creative work.